a day off. Um, it's a day for hunting eggs and having fun and enjoyment. We're very grateful for those things as well. But for Christians, Lord, truly born-again believers, this is the day. Because, Lord, if you don't get out of that grave, we do not have salvation. We do not have justification. We will not be declared righteous. And so you beat death. You prove that. Your son, your son, Father, proved that sin and Satan and death could not hold him. He could, he could be our offering for us. And, Lord, we are amazed at grace that you would accept him on behalf of us. And so we stand here or sit here this morning and sing and praise the Lord together because we are free. And now we just want to live for you. So we pray that the things that are said and sung today will encourage us to be men and women, boys and girls, who love the Lord Jesus and walk with him and pursue him. Lord, as it's been prayed already, if there are those here that are outside the faith, they, they've never been gripped by the person of Christ and understood that their sins can only be forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ. We pray today you would bring them into the family. Pierce their hearts. Open them, Lord, today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust it. It is your word. It is not man's. And now as we turn to it, may you bless the teaching of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, can you imagine, I want you to think with me here, that upon the arriving at heaven's gates, you are told that your works fell short. There you are at the gate of heaven. All of your life, all of your deeds, all of the things you have done have come short. Can you imagine with me at the great separation that will take place at the gates of heaven. Matthew 23 is very clear that our Lord and Jesus Christ will separate the sheep from the goats. One, he will take those who have tried to come through their works or have tried to come through their lineage, their family, their church attendance, their giving. He will take all of them and he will separate them off. And he will usher them through another gate to a place of eternal damnation. Do you know if Christ doesn't get out of that grave, there's no one in the lambs but the Lamb of God. <laughs> if, that were, if this were true, that Christ never came out of that grave, none of us would ever be justified. We would all fall short and thus find ourselves in another place. However, can you imagine saying the one thing as the Lord ushers you into his presence forever? Can you imagine this? This is what will be said by Christians from all of time, those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who put their faith in God alone that he was going to do something that they could not. They will say something like this, I believe only in your son alone. I stand here only because of his finished work. So that's the difference. And, unfortunately, the Bible is very clear, many will come to that position and say, Lord, I've done all of this. I've given, I've come, I was a good taxpayer. You can make the list as long as your arm. 
But he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. But God knows his own. And his own know that he provided a way through Jesus Christ alone. Nothing added. Only through the grace of God. Through Christ alone. That day is coming, friends. And that day we will stand there and God will separate those who believe and those who don't. As we look at this passage today in John chapter 10 that Pastor Brian read for us, we begin to realize that the women and the disciples that were here, they did not fully understand the work of Christ yet. But God was keeping them. He was holding them till his spirit would endow them with a full understanding of who Jesus Christ was and what he had accomplished. And though they saw dimly what we now see fully because we have the full story, they believed. And what's fascinating about these men and women that are at the tomb is they did not have everything we had, but they believed. And that's what ushers you into heaven. We come by Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone. And these dear ones that we will look at today believe that Jesus was who he said he is and did what he said he did. And someday the Lord will usher them in with us. Let's look at a couple of thoughts as we turn to our text. John chapter 20, we will move rather quickly through this lengthy text, but it is the account, John's account, written the last of the gospel accounts, many years after the first three were written. He records this by the inspiration of the Spirit, and it focuses on Mary Magdalene, of all people. Notice verse 1 with me. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and Saw the stone rolled, uh, had been taken away from the tomb. Well, the other gospel recordings remind us that there were other women that came. There, there was a congregation of women. They were making their way to the tomb. But John wants to focus his attention on Mary Magdalene here. And how Christ was going to reveal himself in a very unique way to Mary. Darkness would verify that she was moving from the town out to where Jesus Christ was buried. It also verified that she wasn't alone, and the other recordings tell us that she was moving with these other women. Being alone as a woman in the dark would not have been a good thing in this time. But Mary needed to get to her Savior. The women were intending to finish the preparation for burial. You might be reminded that Mark 16 Three and other passages of the scripture says that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Christ. And there they received that body and they took it. And the women were anxious about their role and how they could take care of this body of Christ. Scriptures also remind us that they're worried about that stone. (laughs) They knew how big that stone was. The Bible says they watched where they buried Christ. And they were concerned. Who was going to move that stone? How would we even get to the body of Christ? You realize that they are not, at this point, understanding that that stone was not going to be a problem. And taking care of the body of Christ was not going to be a problem either. And as the scene begins to unfold and day begins to break and light breaks through the dawn, they see the stone rolled away. Notice in verse 2, 
So she, that's Mary, she, she ran. She realized the tomb had been gone and the, the body wasn't there. I mean, the tomb had been opened and the body wasn't there. And she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved. So that's John. And he said to them, they, notice the plural, she has, she has no idea here. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 2 describes Mary's first reaction. We would have done the same. Apparently leaving the other women behind. Then according to Luke, uh, uh, she, she goes and she tells the other disciples. And then as she comes back, the other women have left. And, and, and here she is alone at the tomb. But before that, she realizes that she needs to tell Peter. Come and tell Peter. She has to tell Peter. Peter seems to be the spokesman often for this group. She says, look, he's gone. He's gone. And he's not there. Notice the terms that she says here. They have taken away the Lord. They have taken away Kyrios, this master. This one that I have laid my life down to follow. They have taken him away. He is now out of the tomb. And we, the women, we don't know where they have laid him. Notice verse 3, the description goes on. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. Here there's a description of the reaction of Peter and John. I love this. Immediately upon hearing this news, they bolt for the tomb. They bolt for the tomb. And you go, well, the narrative doesn't tell us a lot, but I, I would like to think that, whoa, we remember our Lord talking about this. And, and, and maybe they were wrestling. Think through this. Maybe they were wrestling as they tried to remember the words of the Lord were over and over. He told them that he must suffer and die and be raised on the third day. But they also knew there was such hatred towards him. Maybe somebody stole the body away. Maybe there were grave robbers. All of that could have been going through their minds. Notice verse 4. The two of them were running together and the other disciple, that would be John, ran ahead faster than Peter. And he came to the tomb first. So John reaches there first. Maybe, probably, most likely, we believe he was younger. Maybe that gave him the edge. Um, maybe he took a shortcut. I don't know. I'm not sure GPS was up and running at that point. But um, remember, they're running from town. They're coming from their homes. This is not just around the corner. They didn't live next door to this grave site. They were coming from town. Have you ever seen uh, sketches of old Israel built on, uh, old Jerusalem built on a hill? They were coming through that town. It's possible that they were even, even out in Bethsage, out, out with Lazarus and Mary and, and Martha and all of that. And so that's a good two-mile run. So this doesn't happen just briefly. These men are moving rapidly to the tomb. Verse 5, stooping and looking in, he, that's John, saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. For whatever reason, John doesn't enter the tomb. But clearly, he, he sees what's taking place here. There's, there's linen wrappings lying there. And John peers into the tomb, and he's seen the scene here. Verse 6, the Bible says, So that Simon Peter also came following him and entering the tomb. And he saw the linens wrapped there, lying there. But here comes Peter. We know Peter, don't we? Oh, we like him, doesn't he? John's sitting there peering in the tomb. And, and without hesitation, Peter goes right by him, and he goes directly into that tomb. Where's my Lord? What have they done with him? Which would you be? 
Are you one who would peer in? Or would you run in? John and Peter are both uh, men that God had claimed out of the world. They had given up everything to follow him. They had really forsaken the family business and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. They are now scoundrels. Uh, they will be hunted down by the same people who have killed Christ. But they are enthralled with getting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Both have different temperaments. John is maybe a little more hesitant. Peter is just bold. And God uses them both. In fact, much of the New Testament is written through these two men. But Peter goes in. Notice verse 7. The face cloth, face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in the place by itself. Well, much has been made about the grave clothes if you follow religious studies at all, in particular on their position. And, and basically what, what the scene seems to be is he just left those clothes <laughs> And, and whatever happened here, um, as, as the breath of, of life returns to the body of Christ and he comes forth out of there, the situation in the text is clear. There was, there was not confusion. There wasn't disorder. That's what, that's what John's trying to write to us. It was simply just the linens laying there, just as they were on the Lord Jesus. And if this was the means of a grave robber, I don't think they would take time to put them back the way they were. Verse 8 through 10, notice this. So the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered. And look at this great phrase. And he saw and believed. For as yet he did not understand the scriptures that he, Jesus, must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. So here it begins to show this faith that's stirring in these disciples. It seems John has come to the glorious point of belief that the resurrection had taken place. Jesus had done what he said he did. The Old Testament scriptures were true pertaining to his resurrection. Just think about Psalms 16.10. This would have been a, a difficult passage for the Old Testament saints to get their mind around. It says this, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol nor will you allow your Holy One to go under decay. Who would that be about? Who could that be about? They had studied that passage much like they studied Isaiah 53. They could not come up with a human being who that would pertain to. How could someone go into the grave and their, their body not go under decay? And you can imagine these men as they rehearsed these passages of scriptures, as they thought about Isaiah 53, who, would, who was spoken of someone who would lay their life down like a lamb before the slaughter, but would receive all things for doing it. They would think about this Davidic text that was written about uh, a soul that would be cared for, and a body that would not decay, and they would begin to think, is this what this was about? It's fascinating to think of of John's mind going through this, this is exactly what he said to us. And he believed. See, when you begin to think through this text, believers did not manufacture a resurrection to agree with the interpretation of prophecy. They were first convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead. And in light of that truth, they came to see the fuller meaning of the resurrection of the passage, or the meaning of the passage. They looked in. John looked in. The Bible says he believed. That's, that's salvation. 
We, are, we already set the scenario up for you as we begin this. As you stand before God, you do not come in by any works. They come in by faith. And John peers into that tomb. He sees, he puts the thoughts together of the teaching of Christ, doubtless the Spirit of God moving him, understanding of the Old Testament text, and he says, I believe. I believe. Isn't it amazing that's what happened to you and I? If you're a Christian in this room, if you're truly born again, there was a point where you heard the truth, you examined that truth, and the Spirit of God gave you faith, and you believed. And you never looked back. You never looked back. And you've been walking with the Lord, not perfectly, because we, we still struggle in our unredeemed humanness um, during this life and this world, but you don't look back. You believe. Without the resurrection, there would be no belief. In light of this glorious understanding that Jesus was raised, they go home. And somehow they miss Mary as she's coming back and, and they, they have gone, she ran and told them and they ran and saw this scene and then they miss Mary. And remember, they're going to their homes, the Bible texts, and somehow they miss each other. Second thought this morning is the compassion of a resurrected Savior. Look with me at these next set of verses. As we begin to look at these, I, I think I've said this before here, and I think of Mary Magdalene. She is, she is one of my heroes in the faith. She, she comes from a very difficult past. She's demon-possessed, the Bible says. And, and you can imagine everything that comes with them, with Satan and his demons and, and dwelling this woman and all the immorality and everything that would come, that's where this woman came out of. Everything is wrapped up in Christ for her. And she has a reckless abandon for him. And so we pick up the story and we see Mary veiled view of the resurrected Savior. She can't quite see it here. And you see this in your notes. Mary's veiled view of the resurrected Christ. Look at verse 11 with me. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. Doubtless she arrived after Peter and John had left. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And, she, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary Magdalene had watched a terrible trial. She had seen this illegal trial take place at night. She had seen the abuse, the beaten Savior she loved so much. She watched them torture him. She watched sinful men drive nails through his wrists and feet and drop that cross into a hole. She could only stand back because she was a woman. She had no rights anywhere to watch this wicked treatment of her Savior. But the one thing she could do, the one thing that she thought she could bring to this was to bury Jesus properly. She knew the men had did it, so right off the bat we know they did it wrong. So she's coming to fix that. She's very focused on this. 
She has doubtlessly not heard as much teaching as the disciples had. She would not allowed in rabbinical school, had not studied probably those Old Testament texts like the disciples had. All she wants to do is get to the body of Christ. That after, the afternoon of Christ's crucifixion, that Friday afternoon, as we've noted, Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus came and took the body. And doubtlessly, they had to hurry because the lifeless body of Jesus Christ had to get off the cross, had to get in the grave before sundown. It was, it was Sabbath, and more importantly, it was Passover. This was the Passover lamb. Mark 15, 47 says the women followed and watched where they buried him. So that's what she wants to do. And she is veiled in her view because all she wants to do is take care of that body. It was the one way she could honor him. The missing body of Jesus seemed to be the final picture for her. Everything had gone wrong over the last few days. It was just a week ago he had come in so triumphantly. Everybody was singing his praises. There was palm branches laid on the ground, coats laid on the ground as Jesus came in, riding on a donkey, fulfilling the great prophecy of Zechariah. And yet now she can't even find his body. She's grief-stricken. She doesn't recognize the angelic beings. Her grief has have stopped her. I don't know if we've ever been around someone who is so grieving they can't even recognize the things that are going on. But Mary's love for Christ was strong. It was strong as anyone who had ever walked with him. And she so greatly wanted to care for Jesus' body. This was the one consuming thing. Notice verse 14 through 16. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, you repeat the same question, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus possibly had veiled himself to Mary. He, he has done this. He, we see him do this just a little while after this when he meets disciples on the Aramaic road. He veils himself. They don't know who they're with. Possibly this is what was taking place here. And think about the last time Mary had seen Jesus, he didn't look like this. He, his, the amount of blood lost out of his body, the lashings and beatings that he took are are just beyond what Americans can get their mind around. He had been mocked and spit and crown of thorns driven into his head and we know how blood pours from the head and dries to the body. The last thing she had seen, this was, this was not her savior. And so whatever the case, she, she doesn't know who he is. She, she's either blinded by the Lord, not showing exactly who he is, or she just doesn't recognize this resurrected body. Probably more like Thomas and the other disciples. They, they didn't know either when he walked into the room. And so there's something about this resurrected Lord that they don't automatically recognize him. But regardless, the Lord entreats Mary with a question. The Lord exposes the precious heart here of Mary. Woman, why are you weeping? See, the resurrection is a beautiful thing. Friday night, we took time here. It was just a, a wonderful service. We took the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, and seven men took five minutes each and explained each one of those sayings. 
And it was moving Friday night. We sat there and we contemplated our Lord hanging on the cross. And many times I was moved with great emotion hearing each of our men explain each statement that went on on the cross. And it was challenging when you thought about that. Here are the innocent one, the one who deserves no, no punishment, the one who is perfect in all of his ways, the one who treated the world so greatly as he came into it, is being judged on our behalf. But the resurrection's different. This is why they keep saying, why are you weeping? This is the point. That death has produced life. And they keep asking, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? This is not the time. Mary's response is priceless, though. She just wants the body of Jesus. She loved her Lord. And, and Jesus is, uh, is just merely, it is amazing here, just merely speaks her name. In the moment he speaks her name, she recognizes her Savior. Isn't that incredible? Look at verse 16 with me again. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Boom. Rabboni, I know who you are. You're my Savior. Wow, what a statement. You know, that's what God does with us. He calls your name. When he saves you, what's really taking place is God is calling you. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 19 says that he knows whose are his. He calls us by name. In the, the, the moment you got saved, that was God calling you out of this world, calling you out of your sin. I, you'll never forget it if you're truly saved. You, you remember, maybe you don't remember that, that exact date or moment, but you remember that time and you go, I know the Lord called me. He radically changed my life. Second Thessalonians reminds us of this verse, chapter 2, verse 14. It was for this that he called you through our gospel. You see, he calls you. It was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the scenario I set up for you in the introduction will never happen. You will not, as a saved person, walk into heaven and hope that you're going to get separated the right way. That will not happen. You know why, if you're saved? You're marked with the glory of Christ. He's never lost you. He's never forsaken you. In the moment of death or by rapture, when you come into his presence, he will recognize you and bring you to himself immediately. We're branded with Christ. And that's what the passage says. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We're Christians branded with the glory of Christ. There's a mark on us. He knows who's are his. It won't be hard for him to separate. He'll bring us right in to his presence. So when Christ spoke Mary's name, all her fears ceased. It's an amazing thing. This woman has struggled over whatever time frame this is. They've, they've left their home early and dark. They've got to the tomb at daybreak. The Savior's not there. There's a run back to the disciples' homes to tell them. Then there's a run back to it. Who knows how much time has taken place and how far she is away. And all that time, the fear of where is my Savior now is gone when he mentions her name. It's gone. John later wrote this in his first epistle, 1 John 4, 18. Remember this? Perfect love cast out all fear. 
perfect love cast out all fear. When he spoke her name, her fear ran away. Because he's a perfect lover. He loves perfectly. And, and Mary knew that the instant he spoke. And at that moment, Mary experienced that perfect love of her Lord and, and, and all her fears went away and all she can do is want to cling to him. What do you cling to? Boy, it's tough in this life, isn't it? Finances. Anybody in here got all the money they need? How about your health? Anybody got a doctor's appointment this week? What's he going to tell you or is she going to tell you? See, see, there's all kinds of things that want to take our fear. There's only one that can take your ultimate, your eternal fear away, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ through his finished work. And all that Jesus had said, Mary believed. See, God must call you by name. He must open your eyes to his beauty and peace. Many times people ask me, and say, oh, but hey, will you pray for this loved one or this friend of mine? And they're just caught in sin and it just, their lives are just falling apart and, or, or they're getting everything they want, but they're going to go to hell. I, I have heard all those scenarios. And often I'll say this, they just haven't seen his glory yet. And I often pray for people in my own family and, and many that you have asked me to pray for, Lord, show them your glory. Show them who you really are. And that's what happens when you study the scriptures and you put your faith in Christ. You understand who he is. And fears fall away. And you begin to walk with him in a way you never understood before. We'll see Mary becomes the messenger. (laughs) Look at verse 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing, there's a whole different tone here, announcing to the disciples. She came before out of fear and sorrow, he's gone. Here she's announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to me. Here first Jesus says, don't cling to me. Uh, A lot of thoughts can go in this, but think through this. Jesus was not simply just going to return to the ministry he had before The new covenant's here, right? The Spirit's coming. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't cling to this because there's something even better, right? Mary said, oh, Jesus is back and we can get the 12 together and we can do all this. No, 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 no. There's something way, way better. (laughs) Don't cling to this. There's a new covenant now. I've accomplished all that man could not. I've freed you from your sins. You're now right before God because I was able to beat sin, Satan, and death. I was resurrected. It was a stamp of approval of God. And now you're free from this. You don't, this is done here. I'm, uh, this role of mine is done. I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the Father until he makes my enemies my footstool. You don't want to cling to this. This part's done. I think that's what he's saying to her. I believe he is saying... I'm not leaving yet. I'm going to show myself to others. But I think we see the testimony, the character of Mary Magdalene. She embraces Christ fully. She believes him. She humbly surrenders to his lordship. That's what every believer should do. Not accepting Jesus as some fire insurance in case that guy standing in the pulpit's right. He's not a fire insurance. (laughs) 
He's your only hope. And we cling to him because we believe that. We don't preach this way and sing this way because it's some kind of cultural way done in America. We honestly believe this. And we hold to these things. And Mary is an example of that. And I love the fact that she clung to her Savior. And I love the fact that he said, whoa, 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 hold on. There's something greater coming. You've seen nothing yet. And one day, we will see Mary with the saints of the old and all those who have gone before us. And when he returns before our death, that he will, those people will come with the Lord Jesus. Mary is a, content, a constant contrast. She's a great contrast. She doesn't want to let him go. And others just want something from him. Maybe you can give me health. Maybe you can give me wealth. Maybe you can make my enemies go away. Maybe, you, maybe you're the, the Jesus in the genie bottle I've been looking for. Not marrying the disciples. They gave all to follow me. You say, well, Scott, how do I get there? Well, the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's what she did. What have they done with my Lord? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. There's nothing in that text that says, oh yeah, um, do all this list, keep this law, accomplish these things, give this, don't eat that, don't be with these people. None of that's there. That's all the world's false trappings to take your soul right to hell. You say, well, how do I know? Because I, I believe there's a historical Jesus. Your life will be transformed. The things of the old, things of the world will grow slowly dimmer and dimmer to you, and the things of the Lord will become greater and greater to you. And that's what happened to these folks. They, they were empowered this morning at our sunrise service out in the front lawn. We, we looked at these men who were afraid before the resurrection. They knew they were next. If they've killed Jesus, they're going to kill us. These men are so emboldened and so powered by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that they stand encircled by the killers of Christ and say, we believe. <laughs> we believe he's the only way, truth, and life. And that's what he does for us. And so Mary does those things. One last verse here before I quit. Romans chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn over there. Romans chapter 4, right at the end of this great text, this, this is coming off of chapters 1, 2, and 3, where Paul proves that all people, no matter what your background is, I call it a low-class, high-class, middle-class sinner, right? Romans 1, just people that have just totally rejected God. They worship his creation over, over him. They, they, they despise God's view of gender and marriage. And I mean, Romans 1 is just a difficult passage. We go, ugh. And then we remind ourselves, ah, that would be us if it was not for the Lord. Romans 2, you get to Romans 2, and here you find the moralist. He kind of goes, oh, you bad people in Romans 1. And then he goes home and does it in secret. You have to study that. You'll see that in that text. And then Romans 2, 17 and through to 3, you find the religious zealot. He's going, oh yeah, you all are bad. And Paul takes them on and shows that no matter what class of sinner you're at, whether you're a religious class or a gutter class, we're all doomed. In chapter 4, he begins to take on their patriarchs. 
particularly Abraham and David, whom they worshipped. And he takes them on and he shows that they were saved not because of their religious activity, not because of their sacrificial systems that they gave and what they did. He proves through the Old Testament, through a testament that they would have known that they were saved by faith alone. And then he wraps it up with this great verse, and I want you to look at this. He, Christ, who was delivered over because of our transgressions, and we'll stop right there, there was no hope for us. He, he's delivered over. It's a strong word. It's like handing over a hostage. He's delivered over because of our transgressions. He uses a, a strong word for sin. It, um, it's to, to know what is right but not to do it. We would later get an English word from trespass from this where we know what God says and we don't care. We step across it. All willful sinners, all of us willful sinners, every one of us have gone astray from the womb. The Bible says he was delivered over for us. So he had to die. They nailed him on the cross because of your sin and mine. You have to get that through our heads and our hearts. It's not for the person next to you. It's not for the person down the street or the people who live in the big city or whatever else. He got nailed to the cross because of us. But then it says this little phrase. Look at this. And was raised because of our justification. Wow, what a phrase. It's a big word, isn't it? Justification means to be declared righteous. You know that there's no unrighteous people in heaven? Do you realize that? Not one unrighteous person in heaven in eternity. And you go, well, that leaves me out. Left to myself, never getting in. Then there's not a person in this room or ever walked on this planet that ever get in. We have to be declared righteous. What's unique about this passage is Paul says that he was raised because of our justification. So if you have a dead Savior, a Savior which death won, if you have a Savior which death held him captive, justification is impossible. Right? And so death and sin and Satan, they win. They dance on the grave of Christ. But Christ was going to do something spectacular here. He's going to do something spectacular. Under the old covenant, the high priest would slay a sacrifice. He would take the blood of that sacrifice and he would go right into the holy of holies. The inner sanctum of the tabernacle. There before God and uh, above the mercy seat. His Shekinah glory being there. He would offer blood onto that mercy seat. On behalf of their sins. And that blood would be sprinkled as an atonement. Over and over and over. But then came our great high priest Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, all those sacrifices, they weren't killed in the Holy of Holies. They didn't kill the lamb. They didn't kill uh, that unblemished male lamb right there in the Holy of Holies. They did it outside. Hebrews says that he suffered outside the camp. And then the Bible says that he passed through the heavens. And he passed through the heavens. And guess what he was carrying with him in a, in a sense, in an understanding, a spiritual understanding? He's carrying his own blood. And guess where he's going He's not going to a temple made by hands of men. He's going to the great temple. 
he's going to the temple in heaven. And he's going right into the presence of the Lord, of, of his Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, going right into the presence of his Father. And here he stands with his own righteousness, because his blood represents his own righteousness, standing with that and saying, Father, will this do? He's died. He's made propitiation, and there he is. Will this do? And the Father says, that'll do for all who believe. And he receives that. And so here this beautiful teaching here in the end of Romans 4 says that he was raised because of our justification. In other words, Christ came to that great temple. He presented his own righteousness for our justification. And therefore the resurrection is the evidence that God accepted it. This is why we get so excited as Christians about this. This is not a day we just go, hey, we're going to Easter egg hunting. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of fun things to go with that, but man, this is important to us. Because our justification rides on this. I'll stand in heaven perfectly righteous before God because Christ rose from the dead. That's astounding. I don't deserve it. But he gave it anyway. And that's God's grace. And that's what it means to be a believer. We put our faith in something that we couldn't do. We put our faith in a Lord Jesus Christ who could say, Scott, I've declared you righteous, not for today, not for just tomorrow, but for all of eternity. He took away my past, present, and future sin. Tell me what religion teaches that. None. None. Everything is works-based but not a resurrected Savior. He took it all. The Lord dropped the gavel. He says, Scott, you're free from your sins. And when he sees me someday and he sees you who are true believers in here, he will say, welcome in, my good and faithful servant. He will wait a minute, Scott, I haven't been all that faithful. You know what? He doesn't see that. He chooses not to bring your sins up. He takes them as far as the east is from the west. And I've been in the west and now live in the east. And if you keep going, you just keep going. They're gone. And he welcomes you in. Last verse, Acts 2, 24. But God raised him up from the dead, putting it into the agony of death. That would be the second death. We spoke of that this morning. And then this phrase, since it was impossible to be held by its power. Hmm. You're justified because Jesus got out of that grave. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, please don't walk out of here. Well, I just play with Jesus. I show up every once in a while. That's deadly. That is a deadly game. I, I, God has to do this work. I'm just pleading with you, with you for him. God has to do this work. Christian, if you're here today, stop playing around with Jesus. Walk with him. Walk with him. Obey him. Let him affect your marriage, your parenting, your job. Let him affect everything. Let him get into all those areas. Let him take your fear and worry away, just as he did with Mary. Let him speak your name. Hear him. He knows you. Christian, don't, don't try to walk this life alone. Be like Mary. Cling to Jesus. Amen? Father, we're overwhelmed with your grace to us. We're just mere humans. We're but dust. We could die tomorrow and be lost among the countless millions that will die each week and each year. 
But you know us, Lord. <laughs> you called us by name. You've chose us from the foundations of the world, the Bible says. We are not some, some cosmic mistake or some spiritual accident we stumbled into. You, you knew us. Your, our names were written on your hands, the Bible says. And those same hands had nails pierced them. We, we are not some spiritual mistake. You died for us. And Lord, we praise you this morning. I speak for so many in front of me. We praise you that the grave could not hold you. Our justification was proved as you came out of that. And now we stand righteous before God. Free from our past, present, and future sins because you would not let death hold you. And so, Lord, you won. You vanquished your enemies. And you sit now at the right hand of the Father. You are awaiting the next step. You will return and gather all those who are yours. And you will begin to judge the world. And you will separate someday sheep from goats, Lord. And all those who know you, you have marked and they will be ushered into your kingdom forever, Lord. All because of Easter Sunday. So Lord, may we not forget these lessons, Lord. Tomorrow when life is difficult, this week as some unexpected event happens, may we like Mary cling to our Savior. And Lord, may you take us through this life into the next. We'll give you glory for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.